having sung that hymn now for so many years, you all know now what an Ebenezer is, do you not? Good. The rest of you will have to look it up. It means stone of help. Stone of help. I was ordained over 40 years ago in the Ebenezer Mennonite Church out in Ohio, so I know what Ebenezer is all about. It's a note from Candy Preston. Grace Bible family, thank you so much for the generous Christmas gift. You are a blessing to me. Thank you for your love and support. And we feel privileged to have you with us, Candy. And this will be on the um, ledge out in the foyer. Uh, Mike mentioned this journey wall a while ago. I want to encourage you to go look at it. Very colorful, except to Mike. And uh, we want you to take part in it. Add to it. Look at look at it. See what's going on. What we're Enjoying it of our history and uh, to where we're headed. Okay, am I there? I'm there. I'm not back there. Okay. Two men were marooned on an island. One paces back and forth, worried and scared to death. The other sits there sunning himself, enjoying it. Aren't you afraid that we're about to die? The first one says. The second. No, I make $100,000 a week. I tithe faithfully to my church. My pastor will find me. <laughs> this is my favorite bumper sticker. I haven't found it yet, but when I find it, if you love Jesus, tithe. Anybody can honk. All right? I'll ask you the question this morning. Uh, can you rob God? Can I rob God? Is that possible? Maybe not taking something away from him, but withholding something which is rightfully his. We're going to address some of that, particularly out of the book of Malachi this morning. But before we go there, I, I want to... I want to address uh, two questions on biblical tithing. And I know you're all anxious to, to know what I think about is tithing a rule for the New Testament. Hang on. Uh, i got a few weeks to do this, okay? Um, what, a couple of questions rose in my mind this week. And um, one of them at the top how did people in the Old Testament obtain wealth in order to tithe? And how and why did they give it to God? I'm not going to, to uh, uh, turn to all those passages. I think I have them up here on the... Yeah. Okay. Um, in Exodus chapter 11, I, I am going to have you... Go back there and turn with me, if you would, please. In Exodus chapter 11, um, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will, bring upon, I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt, and afterward he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. 
Now you speak, God addressing Moses, you speak in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. Um, this was promised back in chapter 3. Uh, God said this is what's going to happen. And if you would turn over a page to chapter 12, um, verses 30, um, 35 and 6, the people also had done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. Uh, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. So... Um, God gave them the spoils of Egypt. Uh, in turn, they gave their tithes and their offerings. I want you to turn to um, Exodus chapter um, chapter 36. Um, while you're on the way there, stop at 25. Exodus chapter 25. God keeps repeating this. He says to Moses, now this is what I'm going to have you do. And he says, you're going to take the, 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 the money, the resources for Egypt. And then he says, this is what I want you to say to, Egypt, to, the, to the Israelites. And he repeated it. And then he repeats it again saying, this is what they did. Now, we are in chapter 25 and we're ready to build that tabernacle, that, that amazing tent out in the wilderness in if you read of all the things, the materials that it took, gold, silver, bronze, uh, wood, uh, the different linens and so forth, where do they come from? Egypt. Chapter 25 of Exodus, uh, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. It's not a tax. It's not a thou shalt. It's a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you will receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, yarns, fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil, for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Now over to chapter 36. They begin to, to build. And amazing to me is right at the beginning of that chapter, God says, here's uh, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman. God put his spirit on these men for no other purpose than building this, this sanctuary, this temple. Um, that is amazing. And so all the people bring exactly what I just read to you. And um, they, they bring all these, these things. And verse 4 of chapter 36, so that all the craftsmen eventually, uh, just one sentence before that, the people still kept bringing free will offerings every morning, verse 4, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command 
The word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no one, no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from, you're never going to read this anywhere else in scripture. Okay? The people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do the work and more. Stop giving. There's too much. Well, how, how did all this come about? God moved Egypt's heart to give to Israel. There wasn't a fight about it. They were ready to get rid of Israel. All the plagues had occurred. Egypt gladly gave all they had. And then God moved Israel's heart to give back to him. And then that continued. There were, there were tithes. In the Old Testament, there were tithes, which means a tenth. There were vow offerings. There were free will offerings. There were thanksgiving offerings. Let me tell you about the tithes that they give. By the way, I just want to, want to set something straight with you. Some people say, I'm going to tithe 3%. That's a nonsense statement. Tithe means a tenth. I'm going to give a third tenth. It doesn't make sense, okay? It doesn't work. If you want to give 3%, say, I'm giving 3%, but don't call it a tithe. It's not a tithe. A tithe means, by the word, means one-tenth. Just, just wanted to clear that up, okay? And here's what they gave then. Um, I don't know if I put this down. Yeah. There were three uh, different tithes that they gave. One was a, a temple tithe. They brought that tithe, one-tenth of all they had. They brought it so that the priests would make a living. See, the priests were not giving given any land in the distribution of all the land when they went into Canaan. The priests weren't given any land because their inheritance, God said, the tribe of Levi is inheriting the Lord and the, the service of the tabernacle. So there they were involved in the service, but they did not receive any inheritance. So that they still had to feed their kids and live, buy their groceries. And so they needed money. And so the, the people of Israel came and brought 10%, which was for the support of the priests and their families and everything having to do with the tabernacle, the oil and, and everything they needed for it. That was the temple tithe. Then there was a tithe later in Deuteronomy. Called, some people call it the festive tithe. This, this one's kind of amazing to me. Bring a tenth of all you have, not just anywhere, not to your local park or whatever. You bring it to this place I'm going to show you, and I want you to take that tenth of all that you've, you've raised, the cattle and so forth, and I want you to sit down with your family and have a feast. You mean we get to use our own tithe to feast? Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 14. Feast before me. I heard when I first came here, you guys got kind of tired of potlucks. <laughs> Too many potlucks. you got to be kidding. <laughs> God approves of potlucks. There was a festive occasion they could come and realize that they had brought a tenth in honor to the Lord. There was another tithe that was only taken up once every third year. We'll call it the poor tithe out of Deuteronomy 14 also. 
it was collected every third year, and it was for the poor, the orphan, the widow, um, the unfortunate among them, and some of the leftover was also given to the priests. Now, if you all add that up, Israel was giving approximately 33 and a third percent. Forget the tenth, okay? They were giving about 33 and a third. Also realize that when they gave their tithe, they were a theocracy. So they didn't have the temple and then they had government. See the priests in the temple and the leaders of Israel, that was their government. So this 33 and a third percent. Um, now, with all the different kinds of taxes, um, it was kind of interesting that many of them are thank offerings. You bring what you want. Some were required. You have to bring this. And some said if you were poor, you can bring a bird instead of a goat. And God took all of that into account with them. The word is grace. But there was one tax on people that went for the tabernacle, for the sanctuary, and every person played, paid the same amount. Whether you were extremely um, poor, whether you were extremely wealthy, everybody paid the same amount. To, um, to, to write down for them as a memorial a lesson that every soul before God is valued the same. You might have more worth in your checkbook, but you don't have any more value than the person next to you. I love that part of Old Testament. Well, now let's jump over here to Malachi. Um, if you turn with me to Matthew and then just turn left a few pages, you'll find Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. Malachi is, a, is an interesting prophet. Um, he has a he has a dialogue with Israel, and I'll I'll put it up uh, I'll put it up like this: Israel defrauded God, and here's the the seven different things that he addresses among them. Look with me at Malachi chapter one verse two: I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, How have you loved us? Everything. Every issue that, that, that God brings up through the prophet Malachi, they raise this question, well, how, how, did, how is that? We don't understand that. Um, you, have you have despised my name. You have polluted my altar. You have profaned my covenant. You have defiled my sanctuary. You have wearied me. You have robbed me. You have spoken against me. And, and each one, they say, well, how have we done that? Now, one of two things, either they were playing really stupid. Sorry if that word offends you. Either they trying to make excuses for their sin, or else, secondly, their priests had failed them and they really didn't know. They had not been taught. You see the value of having teachers uh, throughout Malachi, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New, throughout churches today? need teachers who will teach the word. They say, well, how, how, did, how did this happen? We don't, we don't know. For instance, verse 17 of chapter 2, you have wearied the Lord with your word, but you said, well, how have we wearied him? 
You weary him by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? That wearies God. I used to read that uh, passage. It's repeated elsewhere in Scripture that um, evil is, they will call evil good and good evil. And I thought, wow, how could you ever get to society when that would happen? Folks, we're there. We're there. Evil is being called good. I saw the other day where a pastor of a certain church, and I won't mention the type of the church, he prayed that women would have, would be able to have the right to kill their own babies. He said that in a prayer. God weary? But one of the most painful indictments from God was robbing God, holding back tithes. Um, look with me at verse 6 of chapter 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Many prophets before had told them how to return. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how how we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Again, one of the most painful indictments from God was robbing God, holding back tithes, stingy giving. It still hurts today. We don't like to talk much about it. In fact, I know a lot of pastors who preach one annual stewardship sermon in the year. And folks complain that he's preaching about money all the time. One a year. And he's meddling. Why do we think that? Because we hold our money and our resources and our gifts and our time with very tight fists. It's mine. Contrary to what God says, no, everything is mine. All of it. So I, I want to talk with you this morning um, about four considerations in giving. And uh, it is it is very difficult for me to come to Malachi, and for me to stand here and tell you, God says tithe, um, and I will get to that eventually. God gives us a whole different set of standards in the New Testament, and I'll just give you a hint right now. They're far above the tithe. Tithe is basic, a, a, a basic kindergarten starting point. That's how I understand Scripture. But, I, but I, want, I want you to understand these things out of the book of Malachi. Four considerations as we give. We're going to consider relationship, stewardship, community, and the concept of restoration. The first is relationship. There's the vertical relationship, we, us, with the unchangeable God. And then there's the horizontal relationship with community. 
And this, this passage in Malachi 6, uh, beginning at, at uh, sorry, Malachi 3, beginning at verse 6, is framed on the, on the left side or the beginning of it, talking about judgment. Verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages the widow and the fatherless against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Judgment. Um, over to chapter 4, verse 1. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and the evildoers will be like stubble. The day is coming. That day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And what he is talking about here then uh, in fact, in verses 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before that great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And you turn the page, and who shows up? The baby Jesus. God became man. So between these two announcements of judgment is this passage here about robbing God. And it begins with relationship. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of, of, of Jacob, are not consumed. And I would almost think of it the other way. If God hasn't changed, uh, he's always angry at sin. And that means Israel's gone. In fact, he told Moses on a couple occasions, stand back, Moses. I'm going to wipe out Israel and we'll start all over with you. And Moses, who had also been complaining, says, Oh God, no, don't do that. What will the other nations think? And God relented. Word, English word that we use so we can understand God's nature, which we can't understand. God says there's a relationship. I, I, want, I want you and, and myself, as we talk about giving, not to start talking first about all about billfolds and paychecks and all that. Let's talk about relationship. God says, I'm in this relationship with you. In fact, I don't change. I am always full of mercy. Therefore, you haven't been consumed. And I have made a promise to you. Therefore, you have not been consumed. You haven't kept my word, but we're in this relationship. Um, I'll talk about the, the horizontal relationship later in community. The second word that we, we want to talk about is stewardship. God owns all. Um, we've talked about that the last two Sundays. We've mentioned that. Um, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Which means then that I am his steward. I've been given a portion of that. Um, some of you have been given less than I have. Some of you have been given more than I have. We're not comparing. What we have, we are to be faithful. With what we have, we are to be faithful to the Lord. It doesn't matter the amount. Um, faithfulness. So, in, in, in a sense, an answer to the question I started with, can man rob God? The answer is no, because everything's his. But he says, you have robbed me either, as we spoke, either as lack of, of teaching or else absolute ignorance or just um, 
insolence, disobedience. How have we robbed you? We haven't done anything wrong. We are students, and as such, we give account to God of everything. Um, I, I'm reminded of the, the little child who received two quarters, and his parents are always saying, you know, you give, you give some to God, and one is yours, and one you give in church this morning. And as he was going to church and filled them in his pocket, he had a hole in his pocket, and one dropped out, and it rolled down the street, and it went to a gutter. And he goes over there, and he looks down the gutter, looks for quite a while, can't reach it. Gets up and begins his way on to church. He says, Lord, I'm so sorry I lost your quarter. I lost your quarter. <laughs> it's all God's. The quarter down there, the quarter in my pocket, it's all God's. Everything belongs to God. I'm a steward. Not of just that. Not of, not of just the. 10% I give to him. I am a steward of all 90%. All 90% belongs to God. All 100% is God's. The, the third um, consideration beside uh, relationship and stewardship is that of community. Robbing God robs community. Um, verse 9. You are cursing, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. What I want you to do instead, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. What's that storehouse? Most pastors would get up and say, well, of course, our church is a storehouse, so bring it all here. Let me let me give you a little background on the storehouse. It was begun in 2 Chronicles 31. It's recorded for us from King Hezekiah. And they were bringing offering, again, a, a willing offering. And they were bringing so much, he said, well, we need to have a storehouse to store that in. And out of the storehouse, what are we going to do with it? We're going to take care of the priests because they have no part in, our, in the inheritance. Um, we're going to take care of the priest. We're going to take care of the poor. Um, we're, going to, we're going to take care of the homeless, um, orphans, social outcasts. That's who we're going to take care of with this storehouse. So when I rob God of giving to him, I rob the community because we can't give to those in need. And you know, there are scriptures... I would not have time in, a, in several weeks to read all the scriptures in Old Testament and New where God's heart is toward the poor, to the oppressed, orphans, widows, social outcasts, aliens. Having a political fight over aliens, aren't we? Illegal and legal. As a Christian community, we have to think beyond political boundaries. What is the Christian responsibility, the church's responsibility. The storehouse. The storehouse was to, was to share with the community. When you rob God, you're robbing the community. A fourth consider, consideration of that is restoration. I, I want you to restore what you have wronged. 
How, how should we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. And you say, well, how do we rob you? Your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse if you are robbing me. What, what kind of a curse? Well, um, let, let's read on. What kind of a curse were they under? He said in verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. You realize God doesn't need food. Okay? Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, for if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruit of your soil, your vine, and, your, and the vine in your field will not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. What were they cursed with? It appears that their curse was there were no crops. And, and God met their unbelief and their disobedience with a curse upon them, no material blessings. Now, please understand that sometimes in the Old Testament, material blessing meant God's blessing was upon them, but not always. Um, don't take that as, a, well, if I'm, if I'm well off, God has blessed me, and he's not so well off. If God certainly hasn't blessed him. He must be a terrible sinner. That's what Job's friend said to him. Can't do that. But God says, restore, come back. And I'm, I'm questioning here, restore the heart. Restoring the heart restores the offering. Some people have used that, though, and say, well, okay, my heart isn't there for giving, so I'm not going to give. See, if restoring the heart, then we'll restore the giving. You say, well, my heart's not in it yet. I'll, I'll wait to give. Sometimes restoring the offering restores the heart. Kind of like a jump start, kick start, priming the pump. People have some objections and, and questions to uh, tithing, giving. Let, let me address a few of them. One of them is, uh, isn't tithing an Old Testament standard? I mean, we can read it right here, the tithe. Isn't that an Old Testament standard? Well, I, I'm not sure of the direct correlation, but the New, stand, New Testament standard is generosity and need, purpose and proportion. In other words, why should I give less? Let me, let me read for you what Jesus says um, in regard to this matter of giving. Give, and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If my measurement of what I give is stingy, I'm going to get stingy back. If what measure I use is generosity, I'm going to get generosity back. Should I think then that the more money I give to God, the more money I will get back? Not always. But there are things in the Christian life like um, a peace and confidence and so forth that people around us are dying for. They don't have that. And as I am obedient to God, there is a, there is a peace that you, you cannot... Replace. So, isn't Old Testament's uh, isn't tithing an Old Testament standard? 
Well, the, gen the New Testament standard is much more. Secondly, uh, should I tithe on gross or net? I'm going to answer that by saying giving is a heart issue. I'm not going to tell you whether you should give on gross or net. Some people have an absolute opinion on it. Giving is a hard issue. Be true to your conscience. Start. Start small if you want. Start with 3% if you must. Don't call it a tithe. But why don't you start with a tithe? That's a starting place. See what God's going to do. I, I, I share with you with shame that it took me a long time to say, okay, God, you get first. Because it was always, you know, we have this and that. By the end of the month, Lord, you know that we're short. and You understand, don't you? He always understood. But oh, what a blessing it was to begin to say at the beginning of the check, the first check I write, that's his. It's there. He'll bless me with the rest. And he has. Um, a third objection is, I don't like, or I don't trust middlemen. I don't want to give to the church. I don't trust middlemen. Human agencies. Okay, just give to God. Go ahead. Sort of like milk and cookies to Santa Claus. Really? Just give directly to God. I don't know when and how he's going to take it. but Or you can give through the church. Christian missions. Everywhere you find in, in throughout Scripture, it's giving to God through a medium. Through someone. And the last question is just simply this. Has a devourer dwindled my resources? How come I'm always short? How come I'm coming up short? How come I'm really struggling to make it? I don't know, and I feel for you if that's the case. But I want you to start checking back. Well, am I being obedient to God? Am I really opening up my heart to Him first? Am I afraid to give, thinking there won't be enough left? Someone wrote years ago that there are three kinds of givers. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything out of a flint, you have to hammer it and hammer it and hammer it. To get out of a, a sponge, you must squeeze it. And the more you squeeze, the more you get. But a honeycomb just overflows with its own sweetness. Am I a flint kind of giver? or a sponge, or a honeycomb. Now, last week, I dumped on you a whole bunch of statistics. I'm going to do that at the end now, and I'll do it quickly. When nearly 50% of the world's Christian income, listen, 50% of the world's Christian income originates in the U.S. with us, and yet deep needs are going unmet, it's legitimate to question the heart of the average American Christian. Someone just took some figures and said, what would happen if believers increased their giving to a minimum of 10%? So these figures are based on everyone in the church gives 10%. This person figured there would be an extra $140 to $165 billion available. This is in the U.S. I could, couldn't believe those figures. Billion? 
25 billion, the person said, could relieve global hunger and starvation and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. 12 billion to eliminate illiteracy. You say, wait a minute, I'm getting to the social gospel. I read all over in the scripture. Um, the gospel is clear. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But there are social implications to care for the community. Those here in this church, the community that I love, those outside the church, the community that I live with, I'm to care for them. Um, 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues where 1 billion live on less than $1 a day. And I think it's that same figure, 1 billion, do not have access to clean drinking water. What is it for someone, and this is happening, goes in and a Christ, as a Christian builds that, uh, digs wells for them, say, here's water. Now let me share with you the water of life. One billion could fully fund all overseas missions work. Wouldn't that be great, Candy? And 100 to 110 billion left over for ministry expansion. Mind-boggling. I read this years ago, and it struck me, and it, is, it has stayed with me. One by one, he took them from me, all the things I valued most, till I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highway, grieving in my rags and poverty, till I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. So I held my hands toward heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. Then at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull, God cannot pour his blessings into hands already full. I borrowed this. It's not original with me. Someone has said tithing or giving is not God's method of raising money. He doesn't need us. Terrible thing for a preacher to say just before you go past the box outfit. Tithing giving is not God's method of raising money. Tithing giving is God's method of raising children. You, me, us. So I encourage you this morning release your heart. God promises to release his blessing. Father, as we come before you and time to time we're reminded that we need to come in confession. So we come in confession of our land, our country that has turned its back on you. And Father, we may have to come in confession that we have turned our back on you. And all these issues that Malachi raised with Israel, might we might be guilty of some of them. Are we robbing you, failing to love you? Lord, I, I don't want anyone here giving out of some kind of guilt that the preacher talked about. We give out of a heart of love, and I ask that you open those hands. Lord, you know each person's finances. You know each person's heart here today. You're not oblivious to any of it. And I pray that you would work in each individual's life, that 
draw them to you, that's, that's first of all. And then the matter of resources between them and you. Lord, do a work in our heart. And we will be so grateful. In Christ's name I pray.